Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that, it's, that it changes our hearts, that it molds us and shapes us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that your word would come in power this morning, Father. Just your anointing would rest on it, Lord God. It would be the, the sword of the Spirit, which your word, your word says is the word of God. And I pray that it would cut into our hearts and into our lives and make changes where they need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are starting a series of a summer called Summer in the Psalms. Um, it just sounded nice. Ryan asked me a couple of weeks ago, did, did God speak to you about this? I'm like, no, it just sounded nice. And it kind of works. And uh, I love the Psalms. I'm a worship leader. Um, I grew, I think my first few years of theology and understanding who God was came from the Psalms just because I wasn't the most sharpest kid and also not, clearly not great at as well. Um, but, uh, and uh, I just would, I would love the Psalms because it would be a moment where I could engage God. And uh, if you look at the Psalms, when they were written, they weren't written to be spoken out. They were written to be sung. And if you look, if you go through the Psalms, there's, there's words like selah, which means a musical pause or a pause in his presence. We have those moments, before, uh, even this morning, Kara was leading worship and then it just kind of paused for a little bit and we went in, in, into the next song. And it's, a, it's a way of reflecting. And these songs were written that were sung in the congregation of Israel. Some of them were written by individuals. Some of them were written in great victories. And... Um, and one of the things I felt, and Ryan even shared it in, in the, uh, during worship, is that I felt God speak to me this morning as I was waking up and as I was driving, and it says that a new day has dawned. And I feel like there's a, there's a song that's just been written recently, but it's the war is over, the battle has been won. And I feel like there's been people walking through seasons of battle, and I feel God saying that we are stepping into a season of rest. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's a good thing, because you, you win a battle for, for a time and for a season, so you can step and live in the fruit in, in some ways of that battle. And I think it is apt that we are going through the Psalms. For those of you who are a little bit nerdier amongst us, Rom, joking, um, Rom always, wasn't always that cool as he is now. He was uh, more into books and stuff at school, but he's, I'm kidding. Um, in the Old Testament, out of the two, sorry, the 283 Old Testament references in the New, 116 of them come from the Psalms. Jesus quotes the Psalms more than any other book he does of the Old Testament. I think the second one is Deuteronomy. And it just shows that there was something that uh, Martin Luther, who was the, kind of the, 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 on the forehead of, of, um, of the Reformation, he said that the Psalms is like your mini Bible because it tells about who God is. It tells about our sinful nature. It tells about the time where we don't understand what God's doing. It tells about the time when God comes in great victory. So it's, it's a little mini Bible. At the time of the Reformation, the Psalms played a major role in reforming the church. And I believe whenever there's a move of God and God starts to do something amazing across the earth, it's accompanied with music. It's accompanied with song. And it's, it's why we sing before, because it does so many things. It, it, it puts our eyes on Jesus, first of all. It clears the atmosphere. Je, the, the word says that we, we build a throne. Not that God needs his throne built. It's already in heaven. But in a sense, in the spirit, there's a, there's a throne built on our words and on our praises. And we prop up God over regions and over our lives when we worship him and exalt him above everything. 
So worship and songs is not a secondary thing. It's what we're going to be doing in heaven. And uh, Starla whispered saying to me, she goes, it's amazing how people... People can be so much more attracted to the world than they are to God and the ways of God. And I'm hoping that in this summer in the Psalms that our hearts would be ignited with the fire of God. Ignited with, I want to set my heart to seek you, Jesus, with everything. I love the honesty of the Psalms. If you've read through Psalms, some of these things that were written were actually very irreligious. Like, I don't know if I would say that to God. Maybe God's still dealing with my heart. But some of this stuff, it says, Lord, why do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Who's ever been in that situation? I can tell you. I know God always comes through, but there's moments where you're like, God, I need you to come now. And you're like, and God's going, I'm just teaching you perseverance in this moment and faith. And all of these things that you look and you reflect on at the end. It's, and again it says, Oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And I think it's one of the Psalms that says, How long will I wrestle with my thoughts? Have sorrow in my heart. And it says, Give light to my eyes. Give light to my eyes. Because we have these moments, and I love the honesty of David. Is that a, and he even says, God, would you just cut off my enemies' heads? I don't know if we should be praying that. We can pray that towards the enemy. The enemy has been defeated by Jesus. But if you don't like someone at work, you can't go and claim a psalm over them. You know what I mean? God, would you slaughter them and their family? No? That would be wrong. Okay. So let me just, that's a little bit about context, okay, that they were fighting battles against nations, and it was a different, different era. We are, we are living under grace. Jesus is our king. It's extended through peace. So the Bible even says we pray for our enemies. So if there's someone that's against you, we don't, we don't call down the hordes of hell. <laughs> that's wrong. Okay, anyway, I want to encourage you over this time to read the Psalms from 1 to whatever, 150, I think I should have looked. 150, that's right. It's a good guess. And, ah, it's good to have Leandi and Tiago with us. So those of you who don't know them, they're amazing. Uh, Leandi's dad leads the, the Bahrain church. I married them, when was it? December. And uh, they are with child. So let's give a round of applause, you know. I've heard Brazilians don't waste any time, you know what I'm saying? So that guy... Honestly, amazing. Just such a gifting and call of God on their life. Uh, amazing to have them here. Are you guys on holiday or are you on your way somewhere? Eid. Okay, cool. I really encourage you to read through the Psalms. Dig into the Psalms. Draw on your Bible. That's okay. I encourage you to get a real Bible. Phone Bibles are cool and I use them every day and I read my daily devotion through that and all that kind of thing. But a real Bible is good because you can make notes. Johnny's got an, an NLV student's Bible. Whatever you have to do, you know. <laughs> Actually, uh, let me just quickly share. Johnny and I, we went, we, no, 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 it's all good stuff. Don't worry. We, we keep, we brothers, we keep secrets. Um, and um, we went to France last weekend. Everyone say, ah, oh, that was hard for you. Um, so it's, I said in the first service, it's amazing when you go to Sri Lanka or Pakistan or Nepal and you're like, our guys are like, they get you up in front of church and they pray for you and they, they're like giving you prophetic words. And when you say you're going to France for ministry, like people literally just don't like you. Like it's, and, uh, and I think that's maybe just a little test of hearts there. Um, 
But it's, 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 it's amazing. We, we went uh, away f- last weekend. We literally, straight off the church, got on a plane, landed in France, um, in Geneva, drove to our friend's church in Annecy. Uh, that night, or the, the, the night after that, we, we did a music thing. They're called Fête de la Musique. And it's a small community. They've got about 60 people in their church, if everyone came. And uh, they invited over 100 people that night. And there were people there who did not know Jesus in the slightest. But my friend Nick, who leads the church, he says he's been playing sport with one guy for five years. And he says it's a miracle that he's here tonight. And I just think it's amazing. Wherever we are, the gospel is moving forward. And it's just an incredibly, incredibly exciting thing. And that had nothing to do with the Psalms, but I just wanted to update you where we were. I felt bad to put anything on Instagram. I just kind of left it there, you know. Um, it would have just been wrong. But it was an amazing time. God is moving. He's doing some great stuff in that church. Can we turn to Psalm 1, please? It's a good place to start. Uh, I love the Psalms, like I said. It's an, an incredible, incredible set of, of, of songs. It was originally a song book. It was written, split into five different parts. It would be a hymn book that the, that the early church would have used. It would have been a hymn book that the Jewish people... And I just wrote on the top of my page, we come from a long line of singing. No other religion sings before they get into the preaching. There may be some long prayers, there may be this, there may be some, some like formalities, but we are the only community on this earth that sings a song before we get into the business. And I think the only way you could probably compare, and it's not really close, is football, and when people sing in football, and there's, like, there's, like, there's power in, in all of that, but they, they're singing amongst themselves and about power to the team. We are singing to the Most High God who sits on the throne and his word says that when two or three are gathered, he's there with us. And he's manifesting himself with us. So Psalm 1, I'm going to read it through and make some comments. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, uh, sorry, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruits in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And the word chaff is when, when they were threshing wheat, the leftover part of the wheat would be the chaff. And that was so light, and you see in certain parts in Israel, it is an agricultural society where the chaff would just be blowing in the wind. So they would understand that picture. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And I want to start in a place where we need to start always on a Friday morning, is that with Jesus. It starts with a line that says, Blessed is the one. Jesus was the only one to do all that's required here. He does not uh, walk in step with the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Jesus hung out with those who were far from God, but he always brought influence. 
He always brought the change. And what that means is that Jesus never stepped into sin. He was the only one that was utterly perfect, utterly sinless. He's the only one that can stand before his Father and say, I have not sinned. Every single, the Bible says in in, uh, Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. If we think we haven't sinned, we're lying and we're deceiving ourselves, the Bible says. We have all sinned. And Jesus was the only one who didn't sin. He is the one. He's the one who defeated death and sickness. He disarmed powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them on the cross. In Colossians 1.16, it says, For in Him all things were created. Say all things. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Jesus is the blessed one. He is the only truly blessed one. And we need to start with our understanding there because if we start to read this, this psalm with a place of like, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, then I'll get that. That is a works mentality. Jesus did it all. He is utterly perfect. And because he's done it all, he empowers us to walk and follow after him by his grace. There is no match too great for Jesus. When he walked this planet, every demon fled, sickness was healed, and the kingdom of God came wherever he went. We have to, we have to exalt Jesus sometimes in our minds to uh, the highest place. Philippians 2 9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Some versions say, above every name that can be named, anything that's exalted, Jesus is higher. He is greater. He is more powerful. And I've prayed that so much over the past two months of my life, proclaiming the goodness and the greatness of Jesus over any situation that I walk through. He is greater. And the amazing thing is that Jesus, he's not afraid of our sins. He's he's not afraid of, um, of changing us. And I think one of the greatest pictures is that of Paul. And Stahl and I were driving this week, and I just mentioned to to Stahl, I said, uh, just in my morning devotion, it says that Paul would p- pull men and women out of their houses who were Christians. And I don't know if that happened by their hair. In my mind, I'm picturing he's pulling them out of the house. He's arresting them. There's a moment in uh, Acts 8 where he's approving of the death of Stephen. Stephen's one of the first disciples uh, that, that kind of came after Jesus. And uh, he's being stoned. And he's sitting there and he's approving the death of Stephen. I think sometimes we can read over that out in our story. That is horrific. Imagine being part of that family, in that household, your mom and dad, I won't mention parents here because if the kids are with us, they might get a bit scared, but just imagine your mom and dad pulled out of your house because you're preaching the gospel, you're living for the one true king, and you're persecuting them, they're being killed in front of you, and Paul is approving of those things. He's standing there in approval. And we can sometimes miss the largeness of the story. And God, a few chapters later, knocks him off his horse. He sees a bright light, and his life is changed forever. He's utterly transformed by the grace of God. And he, he later writes in a few of his epistles, and he says, I was the greatest of all sinners. And I'd say, you probably were. We're all bad. We all fall short of his glory. But those who are killing Christians, if they don't repent, I'm sure there's a special place in hell reserved for them. The judgment of God. And God, by His grace, saves Paul. And the rest is history. 
within a few years, he's, he's evangelized the whole known world. He's turned, he goes into Ephesus, which is a major trading hub and city of the day, almost like a Dubai, and he preaches the gospel to the point where it says that he's turned the city upside down. That it says everyone in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord through Paul. Paul was this prolific preacher, and he changed because he was, he was utterly changed, chained in sin. God changed him, and he came and he changed cities and societies to the point where, where cities became Christian. He was persecuted. He was flogged. He was beaten because he was preaching of a kingdom that is greater than any kingdom this world will ever see. And it's Jesus who empowers us to walk out this psalm. We don't get better by self-help. I can tell you I've tried it. Gearing myself up and shouting at myself and saying, you can do this, this is better, and you're in a valley, and you're like, you're not in a valley, and it's like, it doesn't work like that. All you have to do is just keep your eyes on Jesus. Can, I, can we be set free this morning that, that with these incredible principles that I'm going to teach through all of this, but if we just simply learn to keep our eyes on Jesus, the blessed one who never sat in the seats of Marcus, who never missed a day of meditating on God's law, day and night. He, he, he was the law. He was the embodiment of the law. He was, he was everything. He was God incarnate. Keep our eyes on Him, the King of all kings. Verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. Now the word blessed has a, a few meanings, but one of the root words is a, is a Hebrew word called ashar, can we all say Ashar? I'm not sure if that's right, but I don't think there's anyone Hebrew amongst us to correct me. Um, and, the, and the meaning is, 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 is the word straight or to, or to stay straight. And this guy that I was listening to this, this past week commentating on this, he says, it's the thrill of walking in God's path. And it's amazing. When Star said that thing to me about how people are so over-impressed by the world and over-impressed by sitting in the seats of markers and they're over-impressed by all of these things where God is the ultimate fulfillment of all ages. And in Christ Jesus, we find absolute satisfaction. We find absolute joy. And a God, the season that God's been taking me through of late is, is to find that joy aside from things and aside from holidays and aside from having good food and aside from all of that, that my joy is found in only Jesus Christ. The thrill of walking the straight path, learning to delight in the simplicity of simple things, walking daily with Jesus. I honestly believe if we have access to heaven, the Bible says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, that our morning devotion shouldn't be look like well, we've just read through a word or we've listened to a sermon or whatever it is. It should, we are connecting with the King of Kings. I, I, like, I, I really we cannot forget the supernatural aspect of the king we worship. Everything we do is by faith. We don't see God. We can see the effects in our life. We don't see Jesus. We see the effects of Jesus in my life and in other people's lives. So we live by faith. But that faith enables us to walk out a, go, a godly life. It w- enables us to walk out a fulfilled life that, that far exceeds anything that you can get in the world. And I, I was thankfully didn't have a long season of, of, of kind of in the world, if you want to call it that. But there was a moment in my life where I was running after the things that I knew wasn't right that did not bring satisfaction. The thing about sin is that it never satisfies. There's, there's always the next step. Then it's like, okay, well, I've stepped into this. Then I got, okay, I'm just talking when I was about 14, 15, pretty young to start drinking. Uh, 
I loved alcohol, stepped in, okay, I want to get, next time I want to get a little bit more drunk. And then you eventually get to the point where every time you drink, you're passing out. And, it's, and that's never satisfied, but then it might go to something harder. And that's the thing, sin, sin shows you that it's, everything is amazing, but it actually, the, the enemy's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. I've got uncles uh, and, and family members who are alcoholics and who are go to Gamblers Anonymous because there's, the, the, there's this unsatisfaction inside. Is that even a word, Rom? So, dissatisfaction. There's a dissatisfaction inside of them that they, they're always, always wanting more. Jesus fills that in every way. The thrill of walking the straight path. We live in a city that is always giving you an option for the next thing. There's a new mall. Snare's lived here her whole life. There's a new mall down the road. It's packed. There's a new restaurant. We have to go see it. Uh, and we're always tempted by these things. It's the way marketing works. And it, it's, it's, just, it's always getting you to go into the next thing. We're actually, I think God wants us more and more to just step into the grace of Jesus every day, day after day, with Him. The Bible was written in days where they understood seasons. They understood the agricultural seasons, and they understood that there was moments where you sowed, and then you waited, and then you reaped the harvest. And we so live in a time where we sow, so so all the time, and we want to harvest the whole time, and we don't understand the period of just finding rest. And I want to encourage you, even over this time of going through the Psalms, even if you're not going away, spend time, set aside time to just focus on the Father. And you don't have to worry about summer, how hot it is. This is a quiet time in Dubai. This is a time so we can reflect and so we can go into the next season well. The word blessed. God wants you to be blessed. And immediately, even when I was preparing, you go to the monetary factor of that. And that is a small part. God, I do believe, brings blessing into our lives. He asks us to put our finances in the right way and all that stuff. But above and beyond that, because you know that you can be rich and famous and have all the money in the world, as Jim Carrey said, and realize that it's not satisfying. That's not the thing that will ever satisfy you. What he's meaning by blessed is this. It's delight, joy, fruitfulness, and a deep sense of meaning. We can only find that in Jesus. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they find rest in you. The only place you're ever going to find joy and fulfillment and greatness and goodness and, uh, and delight and fruitfulness and meaning is when we, when, when we surrender our hearts to Jesus. Say, so God, I come as a sinner. I'm not perfect. You know me. God knows I'm not perfect. God knows every single person here is not, perf- not perfect. But all we simply do is we surrender to him. John 10.10, God came to bring life and laugh to the full. Zoe laugh. Possessed by his goodness. Genesis 12, talking about blessing. God, God says to Abraham, he calls this idol-worshipping Iraqi from the Ur of Chaldea, and he calls him out, and he says this. He says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever you curses, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Amazing. God's heart is to bless us. God, not so just so we can become satisfied in ourselves, that we're always blessed to be a blessing. Can we read Matthew 5 quickly? This is Jesus talking about blessed. I'm not going to read all of it, but it says from verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What greater gift do we have than the kingdom of heaven? 
living in us. The, the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is not about what you eat or drink, but love, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Who wants more love, joy, and peace? That, that is the greatest gift that we can ever get above anything else. If someone went and bought me the greatest car, which was, you know, or whatever, a house somewhere in the south of France or something, that would not satisfy anyone yet with love, joy, and peace in our hearts. Because no amount of money can ever buy that. It might temporarily buy that or, or, or getting involved in, in, in sin and, and, and all of that. It might be a temporary measure, but nothing will satisfy like Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's the opposite of where the world stands. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I've used that scripture I've, I've almost put that up to God and said, God, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, for they will be filled. I'm, I've said, one of my greatest prayers lately is that, God, I need more of your presence. I cannot carry on without Jesus. I cannot carry on without his anointing and his presence and his, his con- me constantly learning to abide with him. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And this is the last one I read. No, second last. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So persecution, even if you're going through a time of persecution, Jesus says, don't worry, they did it to me, they did it to the prophets before me, but you are blessed. You find a fulfillment in that because you, you think you have something greater than yourself. Second part, don't walk, stand, or sit with sin. And it's, it's amazing how that sin works. And, and, and honestly, really particularly with guys, it starts with we, you walk past something, you see something with your eyes, then you go stand near it, and eventually you find yourself sitting in it. And the exact same thing happened with David. And we are no guy and no girl is immune to, to this. That's why we have to find the thrill of walking on the path of Jesus because it will take us away from all of these things that distract us and want to knock us off course. And David... The Bible says when the kings were out to war, I think in the season where the kings were out to war, David was at home in the palace. And as he was at home being passive, he looked over the, the lattice, the, the, the balcony, and he sees a, a woman bathing naked. He gets excited. He calls her up to his room. He's the king. He's the man. A bit of pride there. She comes. They, they sleep together. They end up having a baby. Uh, so she ends up falling pregnant. He then, she's married. So he, she, David calls the husband from the front lines and says, listen, come, come back home to try to cover up his mess. And uh, the guy didn't end up going home at all. He actually stepped, slept in the king's garden and around the king. And um, so David thought, well, I have to kill this guy now because otherwise I'm going to bring shame upon myself. He ends up taking the guy, put him on the front lines, and he kills him. David, that took about a year, that whole scenario. There's, and then Nathan the prophet comes up to him and just basically just tells him all the wrong stuff that he has done and causes him to confess. But David started at a point where he just looked. Then he walked towards it, and then he found himself in sin. And I think that's how it works. The enemy doesn't have any other strategy. Garden of Eden. They tempt with the fruits, they look at it, they eventually, oh, this is great, calls Adam, Eve calls Adam, by the way, Eve called Adam, uh, and then they both sin together, and, um, sorry, <laughs> Adam's fault, okay, guys, you're always going to take the fault if there's something wrong, don't worry, um, and uh, so Adam, they sin, 
and they found themselves in sin and literally wrecked it for everyone else. Um, and the enemy only has one strategy. He's, he wants to tempt us with something, and we follow after it, and eventually find ourselves living in it. And we identify ourselves in that sin. 1 Timothy 4 2, it says, Such teachings come through hypocritical liars conscience, whose consciences have been seared as hot. Sorry. As seared as with a hot iron. So if I had to go up to Rome, I was going to use Stala, but she's my wife, I'd never burn her. Um, if I had to go to Rome and burn him constantly, week after week in the same place, that eventually would cause the nerve endings to, to kind of disappear. And then that place on his body, so on his arm, it would become sensi- it would come to a place where it's not sensitive anymore. And uh, I pl- I've been playing guitar since about eight years old. I've got calluses on the top of my fingers. And uh, I c- you can literally stick pins in and that kind of thing. You're not going to feel it much because there's just been, it's, 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 there's been a wearing away. And I think that's what happens with sin is that slowly things start to happen. Affairs don't just happen. And there's grace and God walks us through stuff if we've messed up and I get all of that. But let's not even go near that. It doesn't just happen. It's, it starts with little compromises. It starts with little things. And then slowly your conscience gets seared. Then you start doing stuff and you start justifying to yourself that it's okay. I've had friends who've led churches and they, they, they ended up having to hand over the church because they, they fell into immorality. And, and it's because they let little things, little things, little things. And that's why we have to have people around us who keep us in check. I mean, first of all, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you just become more aware of Him, He... He does not let you get away with stuff. He walks, uh, he walks with you. And I, for me, I, want, I don't want to even try to compare the world to God's ways because God's ways are so far superior and way more satisfying than we can ever, ever imagine. Don't be seduced by sin. Don't because it's, it's, it'll take everything away from you. That is, that is sin's plan in your life, but God's plan is life and life abundantly. I got a, a pilot in the church, Carl, he's not here today, but he's, um, and I'm going to read it because I just really don't want to get it wrong. There's a thing in, in flying called the one in 60 rule that with one degree off, it would be one nautical miles after, sorry, you'd be one nautical mile off after 60 miles. So I said, listen, how far would you be off going to Milan? If I'm getting my maths right here, he'd be 50 nautical miles, almost 100 kilometers. So if a pilot's flying and, and, he, and he changes by one degree, he's not going to land in Milan. He's going to land in whatever, Turin or whatever's 100 kilometers away from, from the final destination. If they turn two degrees, it's going to get even further, three degrees, and it just gets exponential. Eventually, he can get to the opposite side of the world. And I think we, if we just learn to walk on the path that God has for us, if, we go, if I start going one degree off, you're not going to feel it for the first like five, six meters. But after, after that, eventually the, the, the true path and the path that I'm on are going to be so far from one another that we've drifted. And we need to learn to just keep and, and learn to be satisfied in Jesus. And honestly, that only comes from spending time with Him. Verse 2. Are we only there? Okay. I'll be done in five minutes. That's okay. It says, but those who delight in his, sorry, but those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And the word delight means to take great pleasure. And um, when they talk about the law, they're talking about from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And, uh, and I, I listened to something this week where the, the, the rabbis at six years old, so at about 15, 
at 15 years old, you should be able to recite the whole Torah off by heart. The first five books in our Bible, you have to be recited off by heart. But the way they would start is at six years old, they'd put a drop of honey on these little boys' hands. There's only guys that were learning in those days. And they'd take a lick of the honey, and the rabbi would say, what does it taste like? And they said, it's sweet. They said, this is what the Torah is. It's sweet. It should be sweet to taste. It should, it should be something you learn to delight in. It should be something you learn from. It changes you and molds you to the point where they get to 15, 16 years old and they can recite the whole thing. The Torah, the first five books, has some synonyms. And one of them that's in, in Jewish tradition is the way, the truth, and the life. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the embodiment of the, of, of the whole of the Old Testament. He even says when he is uh, resurrected from the dead and he's walking with his disciples, and he begins to teach them from Genesis, and obviously the New Testament wasn't written, but he begins to teach them from the Old Testament how he is in every single book. It even says that he's in the Psalms. And Jesus takes 40 days teaching on the kingdom of God and teaching them that he is part of every book in the Bible. Jesus was showing us what the Father desired on earth. And I think when, when it says meditate and, and delight in the law of God, it means we learn to delight in Jesus. He is the Word of God. When you study, and then it says the word meditate, which I'll explain about now, but when you study scriptures, you ask questions of the text. When I'm, when I'm reading stuff, I'm asking questions. But when you meditate on the Word of God, it's not some weird freaky thing, okay, where you empty your mind. No, you, you get the text into you, and you let the text speak to your heart. You let it feed your soul. And I've had to learn, and I think that is part of, I'm going to explain just a bit of a journey that I've been on. I would, most of the time I was sitting reading the Word so I can preach it, where I wasn't letting the Word read me. And I, we got to a point, and Starla explained a, a little bit last week, but we went to uh, Thailand, which is like two and a half months ago now, two months. And um, we thought, I'm going to have 10 days off. I'm going to just spend time with Jesus. I'm going to replenish my soul. Just sit by the pool, tan. It's going to be amazing. Eat Thai food. Almost immediately I arrived and I felt like there was just this heavy like spiritual oppression. And I, I, I said in the first meeting, I'm, I'm a super positive guy. Like I wake up excited. But for since that time, there's just been this battle of just fighting oppression, fighting all of this thing. And, uh, and, and God's been taking me on a journey. I can tell you that the thing, the greatest thing that I learned was, number one, speaking in tongues, learning to just edify my spirit, build my spirit up. But the second thing was meditating on Scripture and getting the Word of God in me, not so I can preach it to someone. There's stuff that God revealed in those eight to ten days that I was looking through some of my notes, which was on like a hotel pad. That is revelation that I may not ever preach, but God is speaking to me. He was changing my heart because I, I, for the first time in a long time, I allowed the Scriptures to read me, to change me, to mold me, and that's what meditating is. It's not emptying our minds. It's actually filling our minds with the Word of God so that we can become these living epistles that fed my soul. Our souls and spirit man needs to be fed. And it's fed when we get the word of God in us. And I, and I think you can even go through reading programs and just tick it off your list. And I've done that before. Can I encourage you, maybe even over this time, just even if it's one line, sometimes, and I, I had times over the past month and a half where all I could do was just read one line and try to live that out. Try to make that part of my life. I mean, that, that scripture that says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. I just dwelt on that. 
And I was like, God, what does that mean to me? What does that mean in terms of understanding spiritual warfare? What does that mean in me or my future? That we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And it just started to mull over it and get it inside of me. And it began to change me. Verse 3, it says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. A tree to grow simple needs water, needs sustenance, needs ground. And, uh, and I think one of the greatest ways is what I've spoken was when we learn to meditate and delight in God. Delight yourself in the Lord, the Bible says. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Fruit becomes an, an automatic outflow of our lives. When we choose, we find the thrill of following the path. We find the thrill of following Jesus wholeheartedly. And he becomes everything to us. And honestly, I believe for us as a community that God wants to take us deeper. Uh, the, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about, I think it was Ezekiel, where he walks into the river and then he goes ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. Eventually, the river overtakes him. And I, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, he's going to take us deeper into God. And I want more of him. I don't know about you guys. Like, I know God wants to reveal more of himself, but he comes to hungry hearts. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Can we all stand quickly? And I'm going to end soon. I went a couple of days ago after being in France uh, for a run walk because we ate, literally ate baguettes and cheese. Uh, There is nothing else in France, really. We tried to have a steak. It was horrible, but the baguettes and cheese were amazing. Um, and as I was going through for a run, uh, I ran past a date tree. And the first date tree I, I grabbed, and I was like, wow, there's a like, yellow date. So I picked up one. It was as hard as rock. And it was obviously unripe. So I kind of carried on running. And then I got to another date tree, and it, was, it had like this, um, that kind of green stuff underneath where it was about to catch the date. So these were ripening. They were looking like red. And uh, then I got to the last date tree, and these were completely ripe, and they started to fall off. And those were obviously the ones that are edible, and we can take them home. And I felt God speak to me, and He just says, Dan, as long as you stay on the path, you will see fruit. There may be some of you, you're waiting on God for something. Just stay the path. Learn to delight in the every step. The, the gospel is actually very simple. Jesus says, just follow me. He doesn't ask much else. And I said, and I want us this morning, and I want to have a little bit of time just to pray over us, but just to simply follow Jesus. It's all he actually requires of us. And he's going to start sorting out stuff, and, and it's good to have vision for the future. But maybe in a season like I've been in the past couple of months where I'm just like, God, I don't want to do anything outside of this, this like peace bubble that you've given me. And, uh, and, and as I've been doing that, God's just been showing me so much. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord God, I thank you for this incredible community of people. I thank you, Jesus, that you have saved them, that, you've cha- that you are changing them. But Father, I pray that this morning our hearts will be set on you. Psalm 84 speaks about how blessed is the one who sets their hearts on a pilgrimage. God, we want to just set our hearts on you. Father, we want to follow you, the, the embodiment of the Torah found in Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for listening. 